2: This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Today's Thursday, November 9th, 2023. I'm Jeff O'Neill, here with Rebecca Shinsky, coming to you from bookriot.com. I uh, am not podcasting from my own computer. I'm I'm borrowing Michelle's backup computer, which is old and... Doesn't have all my things on it, so I I, I kind of feel like I'm in a, a rickety jalopy here, just trying trying not to touch anything, right? Kind of or um, like walking over the, one of the suspension bridges, like an Indiana Jones movie. Like, don't move look too ahead. much. Look straight ahead. Try not to look down, except you need to look down because every third slat is missing. So anyway, feeling a little rickety here today, Rebecca. How are you doing? I'm
1: I think pretty solid. It's uh it's very hot in Virginia today, mm. so I'm thinking a lot about you know the the climate crisis. Yeah. That's with us. Um, but I'm feeling good. We had some good wins around the state and around the country on the side of book banners this week that. in US or against book banners on the side of those of us who are, you know, wanting freedom to read. Um so feeling good about that. Good job, everybody who got out and voted here in mm. the
2: US. Did you get a little taste of fall when you were in New York? Was it nice and cool? And I crisp did, for you? oh okay. Jeff.
1: I just walked around. I, wasn't, I was in New York last weekend um, with a friend observing the marathon, and we just walked around Central Park going, don't you just love autumn in New York? It's
2: just, it's the best, man. <laughs> Incredible it stuff. It is the
1: best. And you know, like, uh, we've talked on the show, I am not a big find a bookstore when I'm traveling kind of person, but I was traveling with former book rioter Amanda Nelson, and she loves uh, Libertines, which is a bookstore mm. right next to the French Embassy. Mm-hmm. Um they carry some English language and some French language books. It's beautiful and very fancy and the ceiling of the second floor is painted um with uh, like the zodiac and all of the oh. constellations. Very pretty. So I did have a cool book experience while I was there. I also got to experience um Shakespeare and Company in New York, which was my first time. Oh,
2: which one did you go to? In was it the upper west side? Yes. Yeah. Very cool yeah, bookstore.
1: Nice, yeah, had a nice little wander around the Guggenheim. Uh, but yeah, New York was very New York in autumn and made me wonder uh, when our You've Got Mail episode of First Edition is going to I drop.
2: know. It's recorded. I, I need to get it out there pretty quick here or save it for next year. Uh, we'll see. Well, I don't know. Is it too, it's feeling like winter here, so I, I'm kind of out of fall vibes. It's 50 and rainy, which is Portland weather now, for the next six months. I don't think I told you, speaking of New York bookstores, when I was in New York for, for work... Um, I was wandering around uh, midtown I stayed in Times Square, which is not ideal unless you 're meeting with mm-hmm. publishers like I am, like I was, yeah. which is uh, largely in midtown and i didn 't realize that there 's now a huge McNally Jackson in Rockefeller Center, like right around oh, the corner I didn't know which that is either. a wild piece of real estate for an independent <laughs> bookstore to to hold um, and I, w- I wandered in there it was like late. it was close close to closing time on a Wednesday night. I was just wandering around. And there were not that many people in here and I started wondering about the e- economics of that. Like how much mm. are they paying, how much are they getting? Also Nelly Jackson. Bonkers. It's it's wild. They have an amazing I'm not even sure you'd call it a sideline business, but like on the first floor, just the the a big part to the right of the registers when you walk in is like pens and paper and stationery and a lot of high end writing crap. Hmm. Um so I don't know how much that subsides the rest, but a huge selection upstairs and all around a wonderful, wonderful bookstore, in an extremely expensive part of town. So I, I, I don't—I I thought that was remarkable to that see. That is that Shakespeare and Company spot on the Upper West Side made me think of it because that's not a cheap piece of um, real estate either anymore. Anyway, I know everyone comes here for real estate speculation <laughs> on neighborhoods we know something but very little about. Uh, Let's see. Oh, we got two things that are holiday season time um, uh, dependent. One is, and we've been a little lax in asking for for to send in, asking people to send in their holiday recommendation requests. We're gonna do that in what two weeks? One week? I guess two weeks, maybe. A
1: couple weeks here. A couple
2: weeks, (laughs) yeah. But I think I've got two right now, and that's only because people were, um, they were, they they felt it that it was coming. I don't think they actually knew that we were looking for recommendations now. But please. Right now, if you're listening to this and you've got a recommendation request, I am pretty sure we're going to get to yours if you email <laughs> us here pretty quick. Um, so that's uh, podcast at dot com. Patreon
1: folks can look out for... The form going out to them, Patreon members, which you can find at Patreon.com slash Book Podcast, mm-hmm. get first dibs on all of our Moms, Dads, Grads, and Holiday recommendation request shows. So you can join us at the Patreon, get access to that and all of our fun bonus content. We're going to mm-hmm. record our book club discussion about Jesmyn Ward's new novel, Let Us Descend, right after this. Um, but yeah, we'll be looking forward to everybody's gifting requests and your self-requests going yes. into the holidays and the new year. You deserve a gift, too. And we're happy to help you pick them out.
2: The other thing to mention, speaking of holidays and gifting, if you're looking for a gift for yourself or somebody else who's, you know, interested, varying levels of interested in getting books, TBR, mytbr.co, is Book Riot's own customized book recommendation service. There's two levels. No, three levels now. There's three levels now, Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Totally there forgot. are
1: indeed three levels. There's the yes. digital
2: only. So you fill out a profile and we ask you some questions. You can tell us some stuff about what you're looking for. And one of our expert bibliologists will go through and recommend books for you. And that's – digital only means you just get the recommendations. There's a hardcover list where you get the hardcovers and then a new paperback um, product, choice <laughs> option, bundle package. I'm just thesauricing <laughs> now uh, where you get paperbacks. And it's a, it's a different price point. You can check it out, mytbr.co slash gift. There's be a link in the show notes there for holiday ideas also a really good last minute gift if you've yes. somebody the digital only one um if it's december 22nd third fourth even the morning of the 25th oh we got to go to grandma's house the day after okay i can still get print something out um and it's really fun and he, they get something throughout the year so check it out mytbr.co slash a gift and we move from ads for our own stuff to ads for other people's stuff with our first sponsor break
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy I. Lynn. Shuei is a talented young musician who is orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed, and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shuei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shuei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year, and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increasingly more sus when he and Shui barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke and Who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy I. for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet. We Dare You to Try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Seller* and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book titled The Dare is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. Of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Reina in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love.
2: Okay, um, pretty quickly here, we're going to get most of the lists that we will cover when it comes to the end-of-the-year lists. Um, I, th- I don't know that we've actually spelled out the 10, you know, is that a Patreon episode? The 10 end-of-year book lists that matter, like, or, draft Ooh, or yeah, a draft or something like idea. that? Mm-hmm. Um, but I would put the Barnes & Noble Book of the Year finalists on that list, if only because they have, dis- and I think I wrote about this in Today in Books when it was my turn, um, last week or the week before i don't remember time the book of the year about half the time becomes a monster yes uh and it has it has this is this has happened lessons in chemistry became a monster Mm -hmm. um the uh i always get this wrong the boy the 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 fox the mole the the horse (laughs) and and I think there's an Oxford comma in there. Became a huge seller. I'm not sure, the Paul McCartney book. Whatever I, we both were like. What are we doing here? Um, yeah, is it Worlds of Wonder? Graduate. That didn't became a monster monster, but it's still around. What was that book mm-hmm. called? You, you know the book I'm talking about.
1: What was it called? Something Wonder. Yeah. Um, World Good job. Of uh,
2: something like that. <laughs> if you Google it, you can find it. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, became a hit. So one of these books really can be something. If it is selected, and again, some of these are already something. So I'm just going to read off the list and then tell me if, which ones you want to talk about because this one is okay. pretty short, right? This is yeah. Not is too is bad. it even ten books? Um, okay, and it looks like they are. Are they in alphabetical order? I can't tell. No, I don't think I don't so. No, they're, order in, they're
1: an, in an undiscernible order. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Um, the puppets of Spellhorst, which you've been raving about on text messages, you're just like, Can you g- <laughs> you're just you're letting giving me an earful you know, of the magical mind the of Kate DiCamillo paired with <laughs> Julie Morse's gorgeous illustration, make for an unforgettable narrative about five puppets intent on changing their lot in life. Um, this is the second book about puppets I've I've talked about this year. The other one was TJ Clune's <laughs> Lives of Puppets. Oh right. Um, right, which was a it book selection because Clune has his, his own following. So that's, maybe we'll put that to the side. I do, I love Kate DiCamillo. Uh, mm-hmm. At this point, a venerable writer of really wonderful children's books. I don't know what age group this is, but that might be a good under the, the gift tree for those middle grade. So, sort of seems like middle grade. Um, and above, uh, that might appear under my tree. We'll see for readers in my household. The Wager by David Grant. We don't need to talk about that, or we don't need to synopsize that, I guess, which mm-hmm. is not a verb, but I just made it. The Story of Art Without Men by Katie Hessel. I have seen this uh, floated around about, you know, it, it's a history of art if you just took the dudes out, right, um, and kind of focused on some of these other people. Like, I can't name, say, a Florentine female Renaissance artist, I can't, but they are there, and Hassel is looking at them directly. So that's pretty interesting. Yellowface, Barf Kwong, mm-hmm. um, Heaven Earth Grocery Store by James McBride, Zillat and other important rhymes by Bob Odenkirk. This is, I, I think, we have B.J. Novak to thank yes, or blame so for too. this kind of book, which is a celebrity zany read aloud. Um, illustrations by Aaron Odenkirk, contributions by Nate Odenkirk. It's it should be called Nepot. Instead of Zella, yes. because this A is all family the, affair. The, the, yeah, fine. Um, chili crisp, fifty plus recipes to s- satisfy your spicy, crunchy, <laughs> garlicky cravings. I was listening to something, and they were talking about how chili crisp is now on all TikTok and Instagram recipes, and mm-hmm. this is the manifestation of that in book yes. form. The Berry Pickers by Amanda Peters, which I think we talked about last week. That's Barnes & Noble's Discover Pick. No, that was the It book for November discussion on the BR pod. I don't know if the Debian Discover Prize winner. Does it get an auto advance into the finalists? Have we ever looked at this before? If I'm not, it not should. Sure. I love this idea. Yeah. If you're the Discover Prize winner, become a finalist. Anyway, um, that's kind of a literary thriller set in Maine. Uh, there's some, I think, immigrants to the town or to America... That get, no, no, I'm sorry. That's not correct. I think it's a native population, an indigenous yes, population. Right. Pardon me. Um, and it's about, yeah, it's about what goes on when those worlds collide and something happens. This is a book I know nothing about, Divine Rivals by Rebecca mm-hmm. Ross. Um, explosive kickoff to a new series, inventive and hearing about two young journalists, and a war that is a fate of mankind hanging in the balance. Fantasy journalism? I, I'm sort of looks, interested. I didn't even know I yeah, needed that.
1: It looks uh, like a romantic. Entry. Yeah,
2: with typewriter keys on the cover, so I'm not sure what mm-hmm. to do with that. If anyone has a great experience with that, podcast at pokewart.com, love to know. The Creative Act by Rick Rubin. I'm putting an asterisk <laughs> by this. Just keep just we're gonna come back. Okay. To
1: that. All right, come back um, to the asterisk.
2: Which is Rick Rubin's uh coffee table, impressionistic, aphoristic, nothing burger <laughs> that we both like. <laughs>
1: How rude and correct is. yeah.
2: <laughs> Let Us Descend by Jesmyn Ward, which we're going to talk about for the Patreon right after recording, done recording this episode, and a little book called Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. Yeah,
1: you might have heard of it.
2: Um, sidebar. I was in Powell's yesterday, picking mm-hmm. out a new book. I, I, uh, I'll I, wait for Frontless 4 to talk about what I actually bought and read, but it was Tuesday, so it was Iron Flame Day, and it was like, I was oh, walking yes. around with my kids, like at 11 o'clock, we had a break at both of our schedules, and the Portland teachers are on strike, so... There's a lot of let's figure out something to do with the kids right now, especially when it's not raining in Portland, so we're walking around and went to Powell's for a while. The people taking a break from work to come pick up their Iron Flame pre orders was wild. Mm-hmm. Just while we were poking around, waiting in line, getting my fourth wing, you know, I heard one of the books where it says we got more dragon riders coming in. There's like a group of um I'd say women between the ages of twenty five and forty five. I'm very bad at ages, but that's that's the that's that the, that, right. That's as good of a uh, a bracket as I can give for the age group. A couple of strange things I noticed about Iron Flame Fourth Wing. You could not f- listen. I I'm not sure. I don't care about Fourth Wing or Iron Flame as a reader myself. I'm interested in as a phenomenon, but I'm I'm not in the business of like needing to get people moved into Fourth Wing and Iron Flame. Let me say that out loud. But. On the day of the release, should you not have a giant stack of the first book and the second book available and you can find it right there? What are we doing? Why I, are we doing this? I
1: mean, I think you should, but it seems like that might be confounded like this particular title is maybe confounded by the fact that it sounds like the publisher had a hard time printing enough inventory to keep up with the pre orders. Yeah. And it's been hard for people to get a hold of fourth wing so like yes ideally there should be a bunch of them available
2: (laughs) and maybe it's because i've been in barnes and noble recently too and i was doing the the english bookshop tour and i noticed that like the stack them high watch them fly is very much like you put the best sellers up front yeah i couldn't i had to like dig around to find woman in me what am i was just like where is it what are we doing here you had
1: to dig around to find britney yes oh i'm confused
2: i don't know i I, I don't know and then (laughs) like a
1: failure in bookselling. so
2: then i went to buy tremor by treasure Teju Cole, which came out, Mm -hmm. and I was like looking around on the new release. It wasn't in the new releases or on the lit fic. I was like, where is it? So I go like, okay, well, maybe they just decided not to put it on one of the tables. You know, it's an, it's art writing. It's like, it's highbrow. It just is. It's not upmarket. It's not even close to upmarket at this point. Um, and then I go back to the stacks and I look in coal and litter and friction. There is no there are no copies of Tremor even on the shelf. Huh. And I just happened to see one of the shelving carts where one of the Powell's folks is putting the new books out and I saw one of the clothes and I just grabbed it off the shelving cart. So it wasn't mm. so I don't know. I mean I know this is hard and I'm a weird consumer, but it <laughs> felt suddenly hard for me to buy the weirdo art book that I wanted, to buy the one point one million selling best. Book of or the best-selling book of last week, and the literary phenomenon of the year. All of them were not obvious, and I was like, "What are we doing?" Yeah,
1: and like so. not for nothing, that Powell's store is huge.
2: Well, it's not the one they downtown. A lot of this is my local. Oh, okay. Don't be creepy. Okay. It's it's the, it's the secondary, okay. but still, it is you know at least as big as a good-sized independent bookstore. Okay. Um. So I I was confused. So I yeah, I, I don't you know. Gotta,
1: you gotta have the big ones. I mean, yeah. I have to think that they're losing. Uh, sales opportunities. You'd be losing business. Like People wander into bookstores looking for the things that they've been yeah. hearing about. Not all independent bookstore customers are looking for weirdo highbrow art stuff. No. Clearly, a lot of people are looking for the fourth wing and Iron Flame and 1.1 million people, as you said, bought Britney Spears's book in some format that first week. So you would think, yeah, that they would want those to be ready and available for people or put them in the window so somebody who's walking by yeah. can see that and be like, oh, right. That's everywhere on the internet right now. I want to go in and get that.
2: I mean, it's if, you're re- picking, weird and if, if you're picking 10 books to make sure they're sort of in the first, you know, that first vestibule, the first chamber in your D&D yeah, campaign yeah. of going into a bookstore, I need Fourth Wing. I need Woman in Me. Mm-hmm. I need um, Lessons in Chemistry. I need Tomorrow yep. and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. I need Heaven and Earth. Yeah, I need Tom Lake. Need I need this. There. Right. And again... I'm not sure why Powell's does it that way. Uh, they, they are booksellers and there's a very good chance to be like, there's some reason people are going to find them anyway. It's hard to turn the stock over. I don't know, but it was really brought home bare to me that like even the best selling books are still can be hard to find in these spots. Right. And there's, mm-hmm. they're more egalitarian. They have a different kind of thing, but like, I don't know. Uh, how many units would be moved differently? Maybe they think they're going to sell the same number of books no matter what, and they'd rather sell something else. I, I just I found it confounding. Um, that
1: is confounding.
2: At the same time. Okay, sorry. That was a All sidebar. Right. I didn't know where to put that. <laughs> and we're back. I could have put it in front of us for you, but we're back. So we got <laughs> Fourth Wing, Let Us Descend, Creative Act, Divine Rivals, Berry Pickers, Chili crisps, Zillot, Heaven Earth Grocery Store, Yellow Face, The Story of Art Without Men, The Wager, and The Puppets of Spellhorst. First, talk to me about the the whole list. How do you feel about this okay. whole list?
1: I think this is an interesting mix of as big as it possibly gets, yep. like Fourth Wing, and an Oprah pick with Let Us Descend, with some more literary picks, some artsy highbrow stuff like the story of art, and then you've got a couple family options, like mm-hmm. the Puppets of Spellhorse and the uh, Bob Odenkirk. So like, there's a lot of variety here and that scans for me with the different bells that these barnes and yes. noble book of the year selections have rung over the year or over the course of i don't know however many five years that they've been doing this maybe mm. um yeah this seems like a, a nice broad selection on first glance yeah um the chili crisp one seems a little out of nowhere <laughs>
2: I mean, it, like okay. they must have sales data or someone's like... Because I've heard about it secondarily, so...
1: Right. Like, you're satisfying TikTok, but that one is kind of... That one's out of nowhere um, for what this selection normally does mm. which is become a book that Barnes & Noble booksellers are going to talk about for several months if not for the whole next upcoming year. Multiple it's years
2: be, a perennial right, bestseller. It'll
1: be featured on entryway tables Absolutely. the year that the boy and the fox and the mole and the horse uh, came out. I remember going into Barnes & Noble like several months after that had been announced and it was on an entryway table with yes. its own signage. They, they do make a consistent deal of it and so I think they're casting a wide net and looking for a title that can appeal to a wide variety of their customers which is one of the things that made the Paul McCartney selection so strange.
0: Yeah,
2: I think if we add the heuristic that is not Barnes and Noble's I'm going to assume and I think it's borne out by their selection in the past. They are not interested even thinking about it's not even what they're trying to do of thinking about what the quote-unquote best book of the year no, is. That's, that's not, not what, what the is. goal of this is.
1: They'll do that on a different list.
2: Yeah, or or not. I mean, they're a bookseller, right? I think if you had to choose one heuristic to guess what would be on this list, and or, or not maybe not honestly, but will be the book of the year, it would be, what is the book that's most likely to be bought by people to give to other people? Mm-hmm. I think that describes all of the books we've talked about that have been the book of the year last year. Lessons in chemistry, you can totally give that to your mother-in-law for her book club, right? That's yeah. a generally, rec- insofar as fiction is recommendable, generally speaking, that's as probably as close as it gets. It's been borne out. By the sales, I think. I think that's just mm-hmm. true. Um, the other one is you're going to give it to somebody else. I think that the lyrics fill the the bill. The boy, the fox, the horse, the mole, the armadillo, the kangaroo. That book, <laughs> you can, you know, grandparents can give that to kids, you know, mm-hmm. or or families, or we can give it to each other, and you can give it to adults. Um, with that heuristic in mind, I, there's pretty clearly the one I think they're going to pick. Do you do you agree? Do you have a pretty clear pick of what you think they're going to pick?
1: Um, I'm leaning to the James McBride.
2: I think it's going to be the the creative act. I don't think there's any Mm, question it's going to be the creative act. Okay.
1: Okay. Say more about that.
2: It's a, it's, it's, as object, it's a very gift looking book. That's true.
1: That was going to be my second pick.
2: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It's nonfiction, right? Mm -hmm. I think it has, it's got plenty of buzz. Like Ruben's been out there all year doing stuff. Oh, yeah. So it's already got a little, a bit of a launching pad. And I think it makes a fantastic gift. I think it really does. It does.
1: It makes a a great gift. It is a weirdo of a book, like, content-wise. If you're just picking up the most, you know, beautiful gift-looky book from this list, that's it. Um, But since, you know, Lessons in Chemistry Mm. got this, and... that. I think they do go for like some of the wide readership. I think Heaven and and Earth Grocery Store. There's a real argument for like that is a wonderful book, but especially in that it deals with the like complicated community relationships between Black people and Jewish people in this small town. That's really relevant right now, especially how we're talking about what's going on with the Jewish community politically. I don't know if Barnes and Noble wants to lean that way, but if you want something, I think zero percent
2: chance they're interested in that. I mean, I'm I'm thrilled to see it here. Um, yeah.
1: I love me some James McBride. But yes. if they, if you wanna lean towards like this it, it kind of does all the things that you want, like an upmarket fiction, book clubbable book to do. Like there's a lot to talk about. You could you could gift it to someone. Um it's sort of a good fit for the generally progressive reader who's yeah. gonna, you know, be perusing their Barnes and Noble. You gotta get to feel a little good about yourself if, when you've Read it and considered the ideas in it. I wouldn't be surprised to see it. I would be really surprised for them to pick Yellowface yeah. or the story of art without it's men. Too like, those inside are baseball,
2: much, too, spi- and much I mean, more yeah. overtly
1: political. Right. Yeah,
2: I think having a grocery store. I really like that book. As everyone listening to this knows, I do think the demerit would be it's a little slow to get into the first fifty to seventy-five pages. Mm-hmm. You're like, you know, it, it, he's doing world building. There's flashbacks. It just It's not on rails like something like Lessons in Chemistry or Yellowface that's for true. that matter. And I, they're berry pickers I have no sense of. It. it feels like it's a literary page turn, which is always interesting. Divine mm-hmm. Rivals, if you want to do a, so you've read Fourth Wing, right? I don't, yeah. If they pick Fourth Wing, I'm going to be super disappointed I, and I think that's a wasted opportunity. Too. Let me say that I, out loud right now.
1: I agree. I was going to say, I think there's a demerit against fourth wing. on. Like, you kind of have to why put it in would you do? Why would you try to do this like, at
2: Barnes & Noble? That doesn't right, help you.
1: For like, let's recognize yeah. it's a finalist because we got to recognize that we're paying attention <laughs> to what the kids are all doing. But yeah, it, it doesn't need any help. It's reaching the readers. I think that would be a waste of you know mm-hmm. this kind of space. I think "Let Us Descend" is too much of a downer. Yeah, you a will hear book. us
2: talk. It's, it's an <laughs> interesting, fascinating book, but it is a tough hang. Yeah, even for as too short much as of it a is.
1: downer. Yeah, "Yellowface" and the story of art without men are too overtly political. The wager, I wouldn't be super surprised, like a dad uh, book pick. Um, not the most. Out there for no. something like this, and David Gran is in the water right now because Killers of the Flower Moon, yep. just came out, and I guess because of the success of The Boy and the Horse and the, the Fox and the Mole, whatever the you Puppets of Spellhorse, you have to consider it. You like, have to consider it. Be, yeah. yeah, Puppets of Spellhorse wouldn't be surprising either. But if I were going to go a top four, mm. I think I would go McBride, Reuben. Mm, it gets tough thin. after that. I think. Yeah, I don't think they're going to put the Berry Pickers in. Because that just won the Discovery Unless discover they love award it. Unless and like, they're
2: getting a lot of secondary pickup. I mean, they may know things but about what's that. What's
1: the use in giving it two spaces when you've already given oh, it one of your big I, I think Book of the year, the year matters
2: more than just, dis- I mean, I guess, but yeah. you're right. The marginal but difference. In ter-
1: right. In terms of like retail positioning, it's already going to have a ton of attention in their yeah. stores. So maybe my top three is James McBride, Rick Rubin, and then Kate D. Camillo. If they
2: pick Rebecca Ross and it really is romanticy, if they pick that, the deluge of romanticy that's coming is going to peak mm-hmm. soon. Sooner. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking spring of 2024, we're going to see a lot of these. Barnes & Noble already hunting around. Do we have a phenomenon oh, sure. here? And I wonder if they pick that, that tells us a whole lot about how much this is a phenomenon. And I could tell you from talking to people in publishing, they think it is. And there's going to be a lot of... But this almost feels to me like it's overripe already if they go to this mm-hmm. direction.
1: Uh, I agree. I was including some Rebecca Yeros fourth wing Iron Flame stuff in today's yeah. Today in Books edition. And I was thinking about how like six months ago we were still just doing it was Colleen Hoover everywhere. Yeah. And it sort of flipped almost overnight to mm-hmm. be in. Romanticy and Rebecca Garros and how, like this one's burning hot and fast and how long can it really last? Like, will we get to April and even still be talking about Rebecca Well, the Giros next book is going to come out in April,
2: I think. The right. third one's in middle of next year. It's not going to be that long. Yeah. We're not going to have the multi-year thing you to wait. Like,
1: she's going to write five books, but are uh, the next three going to be as big of deals as the first two have been is a real question. Yeah.
2: The first one is, is a phenomenon. The second one is... Um, well, I think, I think honestly, we have to think of Fourth Wing as the second one because I do think Sarah J. Moss paved the way. That whole mm-hmm. court of whatever, thorn and roses, roses and thorns, some sort of gardening thing, that has been burning for a long time. And, again, the TikTok thing picked up after it already gotten started. We got here at the beginning. We collectively have been here with the beginning of Fourth Wing where it launched and became a thing right away. Well, the, three is a trend, right? So if we, mm-hmm. get, if we say Sarah J. Moss is data point one, Yaros' data point two. And again, I'm sure there's things in the fantasy community and the social video community that are also going well, but I'm talking about where we talk about it on the bestsellers, like we have to talk about it in it books like this kind of level. I think I included Sarah J. Moss in one of the it books because it was like, but like once you get to the seventh book, right. like the, the 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 typically the audiences don't get a lot larger after like book three or four. That's very unusual. Right. Yeah. But if we get three here, then we've got something, and I don't know what that means. And I'm ready for anything. Um, at this point, about what it could be, I, I could you could tell me that this is it. Um, the Yaros is is picking up is going to pick up all the marginal interest, and people are going to be on this train for the next five years until all the books are done. Or I guess three years, and there's no pickup everywhere else. Or you could tell me that this is the new commercial romance that's been burning for five, ten years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, well that's the that's the book of the year list. I, I'm curious to see what happens. What if they pick Chili Crisp? <laughs> Would that be the most surprising be, pick? I think would. That, would, that would have to be. I would you be more surprised at be, that or the story of art without men?
1: <sighs> probably. Actually, I'd probably be more surprised by the story of art without men. Yeah, I think so too. Because theoretically, everyone eats food, and you know, theoretically, needs everyone eats food. <laughs> I mean, you can make the argument that, like, everyone eats food, and so theoretically anyone might be interested uh, the address in The addressable market is book. all people, because right.
2: all people eat food. Yeah, and my saying.
1: modifiers were dangling there. Yeah. Uh, but the story of Art Without Men, you, just the title alone is yeah. exclusionary to, like, the political perspectives of half the population.
2: It's funny to see it. It's right next to the wager, right? As a dad mm. book against the, I, w- I want to say anti dad book, but it's probably the least friendly. To generally buy for dad. Yeah, the Smash
1: the Patriarchy list. pick. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It, it's a fascinating kind of a list um, to see. And the one the one that has like the most overtly like instrumental use of selling books. I don't think we could see another list where it's like really just about which of these <laughs> do we think we can sell a metric ass ton mm-hmm. of if we mm-hmm. give it the right frame and sticker and everything else that goes onto it. Okay. Uh, moving right along, I want to jump down. I'm not sure. Well, there's a couple of stories here that we want to mention. I'm going to jump down to one that I put in because I've had two yes. civilians text me about this.
1: <laughs> Very good.
2: Right? And that mm-hmm. is, and you wrote this in Today in Books, was it yesterday that the, the, it today went it was live? Today. today.
1: It went live yesterday, but I okay.
2: wrote about it. Okay, right. Okay. 200,000 audiobooks are now available for U.S. Pot- Spotify premium subscribers to listen to for 15 hours. And when this, the rumblings of this first broke... We were like, well, this is interesting, but is it going to be like 15 books and they're six years old? Mm -hmm. And Rebecca Shinsky, they have decided not to do that.
1: They have decided not to do that. We, were, we talked about it in my house last night because, you know, Bob's a big audiobook yeah. listener. and we're do, We were doing some strategy about who's going to use our... We share a Spotify account, so who's going to use our 15 hours on Spotify, who's going to use our remaining oh, credits on one of the credit. Yeah, there's like a whole money ball thing happening right. with audiobook listening over here. But everything that either of us was thinking about listening to soon, Same. we found in Spotify included in premium. And that's pretty good. The Here's only the link- thing I oh, looked for this week that wasn't included in premium was um, I was doing some bonus content for today in books with my own audiobook recommendations that are available in Spotify. Nice. And I went to see. Yeah, I went to see if the Matthew Perry memoir, which is great on audio, oh. was part of it. And it is not part of it. And I don't uh. know why. Like, I don't know if that's because right now. The publisher can really capitalize on selling a lot more of them, or if it just happened to not be in the catalog that was included when they were yeah. putting this deal together, who knows? But everything else that I looked for is available as and and when you go search for a title, it shows it in green, like included right. with premium. If so it's really easy to see, if this is too legit to quit. It's I, very good.
2: Here's what I looked for, just to, just to sample. I was like, okay, okay, what I'm listening to right now is How to Say Babylon. I'll say more about that. Brooklyn okay. Square, mm-hmm. there. I re re-listen to Killers of the Flower Moon. Also, that's like trade paperback front list bestseller. There's a movie edition. That's selling very well. No surprise. That was there. I look mm-hmm. for Making It So by Patrick Stewart. I listened. There. Women and Me, Britney Spears. I was like, yep. if anything's not going to be here, why would they put Women and Me when people are buying it anyway? <laughs> yeah. It's there. Britney's Everything there. I for is Harry. there. Prince Harry. Prince, yeah, Harry's, Prince there. Harry's
1: there if somehow you want to read Spare, but you haven't yet. The new Tracy K. Smith to Free the Captives that we talked about a yeah, few Yeah, it just came out yesterday ago. or Tuesday. Yeah, it came out Tuesday. It's there. I started it this morning on Spotify. Wow,
2: is it good? Oh, well, Frontless Foyer. It oh, is wait, wait, good. I mean,
1: yeah. I mean um, it's early days. Early. It's too soon to talk about mm-hmm. it for Frontless Foyer, but it's
2: good okay. so far. All right. She's wonderful. Um, because I had two people text me both to the... Wow, there's a lot here. Uh And then one of them is like, this changes things. And I didn't follow up. I think it means they're just going to rethink their Audible one credit per month subscription. That's why wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, that happened in my group text this morning. Like I dropped this into my group chat with, you know, five girlfriends and was like, hey, FYI, I know everybody has Spotify Premium. Now you can get 15 hours a month of audiobook listening and the selection is really good. And basically everyone was like, oh, well, there goes my subscription to credits either from Audible or Libro.
2: Good job, me, I would say, when I said that maybe mm-hmm, one reason mm-hmm. they were doing this, and who mm-hmm. knows, the economics of this are extremely murky, and I linked something here from someone who used to be at Spotify, which I thought was in the chief economist at Spotify. Yeah, fascinating. Talking about, I guess, mostly not really, it's a long way of saying not really being sure what the business model is here, but there's a lot of details that, that makes that interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Because, you know, whether what are, how are publishers getting paid, right? Because remember... There's all stuff about authors being pissed off about it's on Spotify, no one consulted me except that when you signed your contract that had the audiobooks, mm-hmm. right? That's when you were consulted. That's what the money is for, but that's a separate conversation for right now. What is the, what is the business model? What is happening? What dollars are giving to publishers based on what? Because it's not title, I, it can't be title, can it? Because I've mm-hmm. read 15 hours of the Streisand book, I still got 35 hours to go. What, what do I get paid for that? I, it has to be on the per hour or something. That's something. all I can figure out. And what does say, okay, take Woman and Me by Britney Spears. Again, as you know from hearing my past rants, listeners of this show, that the audiobook pricing market is completely transparent, mm-hmm. easy to understand, <laughs> consistent, <laughs> and, and frankly, it makes it's me feel sensible. good about how things go, right? right? Where something can be as cheap as I told you about this package of Audible credits that they decided to get to me because I think I had canceled one subscription or whatever. Like, Eight bucks a pop for twenty four, oh. and I took. Oh, you that. got a
1: baby come back I, deal.
2: I, I, I did. I, I got. I got a baby come back deal. That's right. Or you can then pony up if you're just buying it without part of a membership at Amazon. You can buy the Barbara Streisand book. It's like fifty five bucks for so,
0: forty eight for hours. for forty eight hours.
2: So that's a pretty that's a wider spread than anything else you're going to find. I guess maybe if you mm-hmm. buy a down priced ebook after the fact, but I'm talking about a front list title. Depending where you buy about, it, it can it can vary that much how much does the publisher get? How much do they get for this kind of stuff? Why the 15 hours? Maybe we should do a monthly segment of how to spend your 15 hours this week because you could do Britney for five and a half and -hmm. still have nine and a half left over and that could get you a hidden potential, right? Yep. So do something like that. I think this is mystifying and I'm officially calling this, this is the too good to last long stage of this deal. I'm calling it right now. This is not how it's going to be forever. This is some sort of, I think Spotify is taking a loss per whatever on this Mm. as a way of making a splash so that dummies like us talk about it and it shows up in your group chat. People start canceling Audible. It's a real shot in the bow. They're using it as audience acquisition. They're just trying to win the war for ear time. And I think Spotify is taking a bath on this. That is my guess right now, at least initially. We have seen publishers be extremely reluctant to do this for streaming, and the only thing that would make them jump, I think, is a big truckload of money that doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. That's where I am.
1: Yeah, that for all five of the big five to have part- to not just participate, but to put in good front list, and a lot of it, there, I think you're right. There has to be money on the table that we're not hearing about. My best guess right now would be Right now, this is a sweetener for whatever your like ten ninety nine a month yeah. premium subscription is, and Spotify doesn't raise its rates often. Mm-hmm. But I suspect we're gonna get a rate increase in the next year or two. Yeah. That's like you know twelve ninety nine a month or whatever. That will be as like and remember that for this, you're getting your music and your yeah. podcast, but also those fifteen hours. That's right. of audiobook listening.
2: It's like Amazon Prime's video content. It just is there for you. To get Amazon right. Prime just, so that you buy toilet mm-hmm. paper and stuff. Right. I think they. This is a big marketing push. They think they. Pro, I think they're probably right. Is the only way to get someone off Audible is to do something like this.
1: Yeah. That's and they right. want
2: people off Audible and onto their platform. And if over time they ratchet it down, and now it's a hundred thousand, now it's fifty thousand, now it's ten thousand, and now it's ten hours. You know, like. They can go the other way. This well, way,
1: I think that they could, and if they ratcheted it down, but they ratcheted down to just the big, juicy, front list, most appealing yeah. titles, you would still maintain most of your listeners. Like it's more diehard audiobook fans and more diehard readers in general that are like looking for something that came out 15 years ago and super bummed yeah. that they can't get a free audiobook of it, or that you know it. it maybe the audio audiobook doesn't even exist but the convenience like this makes me so happy just on a convenience level of like i moved all my podcast listening to spotify a couple years ago when apple's podcast app had a really wonky update that made Mm. the interface really unpleasant to use and like so i've got music I've got podcasts. Now I can do audiobooks. Like everything that goes in my ears is You're in You're their ideal place. listener,
2: Rebecca. They're like listening to this. The cyborgs at Spotify that are downloading all of our podcasts and putting through AR. Like dudes, we're doing it. We got Shinsky. We got Bob. Yeah. They're going to listen about tall ships and productivity on our app and our app alone.
1: <laughs> and we're going to love it.
2: Yeah. And they're going to squabble. <laughs> yes. They're going to be so thrilled that you know what? And then when they get to hour 17, because the wager is long, they're going to pony up for that top up, 1099 or yeah. whatever it is to top up from there. Well,
1: Really, the 10 99 to top up, I haven't looked at the details no. of it, but that is cheaper than one Audible credit per month. It is. So, that's pre- and I don't think they landed on that number by accident. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there might be squabbling over here.
2: Yeah, and, and the but, other thing to remember, again, I do think it's important to differentiate when I say they haven't wanted to do streaming before they being publishers, is this is not all you can eat. Right. This is not 15 bucks and you can listen to 50 audiobooks this is metered and so it's mm-hmm. much more like audible so if like if spotify offered them some deal not unlike audible where for every unit of consumption they got their cut that makes sense to them in pencils mm-hmm. out why not open up the whole catalog right. why not and have something I think that-, that way
1: that fact that it is metered that it's not all you can eat that is the critical distinction here because it was the all you can eatness that broke the business model of Oyster and then really of Scribd and it was also the all you can eatness that made publishers really wary to go in for those ebook streaming services in the first place like Mm -hmm. how much money are we going to make you're not charging enough for this to give us any money so if Spotify is paying them what Audible is paying them or, or, or some kind of premium above it to be able to get the front list and market everything this way. I think this was a really smart move.
2: Yeah. So, uh, you know, what's remarkable is that you get everything you were getting plus this, right? Mm -hmm. You you just do. Where with Audible or Libro or one of the other kind of credit mongers, you know, you're using up credits, right? Those are dollars per. And... And most people a most spotify people will not listen to a single audiobook hour that's just true right i have no sense of what but the people that will use this are gonna really love that it's there and they're really gonna look at like i think i said before it has to be the case that the the median audible subscriber gets one credit a month Mm -hmm. and now that median person has no reason not to move their 15 dollars a month to spotify right they don't yeah
1: one of my brothers-in-law is one of those median Audible users, and we have this thing going now where, like, every quarter he emails me and says, hey, what should I listen <laughs> right. to? And I just send him back a selection yeah. of, like, these are all the things I've read and listened to lately that I think would be good on audio. And he was one of the first people I texted yesterday. of like, you should pay attention to this.
2: <laughs> right. I, I, what's weird is that you and I are now less profitable for spotify mm-hmm. right because we're going to use i i don't know so if i said this, I will, use this. Yeah. I will use this i will use this every month um but does it give enough people to come over to audible and does there enough breakage in people that don't use this that like you know if we think about it as user acquisition costs if yeah. we're competing with like advertising or anything else like this i You know, I think it's smart. I think it's it's really smart. And I don't know what price they paid. I'd imagine it's very, very lucrative for the publishers right. right now.
1: It also distinguishes their value proposition from just the other streaming yeah. services that we're all subscribing to right now, where all the streaming services have gotten more expensive yep. in the last year or two. And for the most part, it was just pay us more to get access to the same thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: or pay us the same. And now you have to watch ads. But Spotify currently is pay us what you've been paying us and we'll give you more stuff. Yep. And that is unusual, especially right now. But it will make it more palatable when they do raise rates in the future, which I think is inevitable.
2: Do you think this means that the Amazon musics, Apple musics of the world are going to have to raise, is this become table stakes? Mm. Is this the kind of move where suddenly Amazon music is like, you know what? Audible and Am- Amazon music are the same thing now. Oh, You interesting. get one, you get the other, because it, it feels like it might be.
1: Maybe. I don't know, especially Amazon music, if their user base is big enough to like even make it worse. Yeah. And if you're Amazon and you've already got the Audible, right. like peop, you know, all of the money is going to the same place in the yeah, end. It's right. all going to Amazon in the end. Is there any utility in trying to bring people from Audible into Amazon Music? Or you're just trying to keep them from not going to Spotify? But if you've already got them in Amazon Music, probably the barrier to switching over to Spotify just to get the audiobooks. Like, I don't know if that's enough to make someone yeah. switch their whole audiobook or their whole audio setup, like, if you're doing the rest of your listening time. I guess I was thinking just in terms of the, yeah. the
2: bleeding, right?
1: Mm, maybe.
2: Um, because one thing Amazon does have going for it is they're the single largest e you know, retail platform to ever existed. So you could do yeah. some brand work around now Audible includes wonder, music or Amazon Music and Audible or yeah. like that's the Hulu or something. It's like that is be ESPN like- Disney Hulu bundle or something like that.
1: I wonder what it would be like from just the publisher publishers like s- squeamishness about yeah. looking like they're hanging out with Amazon because you know Audible is what it is it's the biggest publishers work with them but I wonder if they would feel differently about appearing to like make a special kind of deal with something that's branded as Amazon music I will tell you, you right now that they will Audible.
2: not at this point they okay. will not unless it's selling physical books they it's they think of Amazon as a partner that's just how they think about it. And and probably rightly so. They've got oh, I some think, I mean
1: I think they should, but the like we don't want to get in bed with Amazon. Yeah, the and only upset messaging the thing they have a problem real...
2: with there is it's around physical books. Because okay. it's, it's indies. That's that's what happens. And I you know, I can say with some authority I believe that from multiple people yeah. that anything that's not that is not just cool but exciting to them because it's marginal revenue for the things yeah. they're making already. Fascinating to see. Um mm-hmm. Audible needed I think Audible needed um, competition. And I don't know yeah, that this is a more clear pricing situation. If anything, it obfuscates the price of audiobooks even more. Like I, It's like <laughs> buying airline tickets. What's the right price to pay for one of these? Depends on where you buy it and when and which seed. And I hate all this crap. Like, treat me, you know, treat me like an adult and tell me what the scam is, scam is <laughs> as Michelle and I say to each other all the time from Ocean's Eleven. So, But for someone who's already a Spotify subscriber, as a pack-in, it's awfully nice. I think you got to think, you know, about making a move if you were only on mm-hmm. Audible and didn't have Spotify. Because now essentially you get your Audible credit and you get a bunch of streaming music for free um, at the same mm-hmm. time. So fascinating to see there. Let's take our second break and talk about a little bit more data and then a cool new thing and then Frontlist Foyer. 35 years of National Book Awards data. Oh. I didn't know that there were receptors in my brain. I mean, I should have known.
1: <laughs> I could feel the dopamine explosion from across the country. Yeah.
2: I guess I knew there were receptors there, but I didn't know there were the proteins that would enable those receptors <laughs> to fire. So this comes via, via, via. Um, there is a I don't know, sort of a nesting doll element here. So this is a piece on publicbooks.org by Alexander Manchel and Melanie Walsh. Um, that is referring to an analysis of a data project that basically is, and you can download the data if you want to, they'll in the will be the show notes as always, of just basically logging the judges and winners of the major book awards for the last, what is it, 35 years? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Over 30 unique prizes, 35, um, 30 prizes over 35 years. So that's what, you know, more than 1,000 um, mm-hmm. sort of unique awardings, um, And, okay, I'm trying to think of takeaways here. So, why don't I throw it to you? Okay. What jumped out to you here among this data?
1: The real impact, like having real data about the impact of the racial diversity yeah, okay. or lack thereof on the judging pool in what is shortlisted and then what wins. Like, this is a thing that feels true it Mm. feels intuitive that if you have a more diverse panel of judges you will have more diverse kinds of books recognized on the shortlist and 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 by virtue of being on the shortlist a greater likelihood that a book by someone who's not a white man will win the prize but that they Pulled the data and showed how often the panel has been all white people, how often the panel has had one judge of color, two or three or four out of the five being judges of color, and then what those setups lead to in terms of the... Representation of writers of color in the finalists, and then writers of color winning. The real thing I took away from this, Jeff, is that given the makeup of this year's National Book Award judging panel, you don't have to be too worried statistically that Paul Harding's going to win.
2: It would be an aberration. So basically, this is the this is the. There's some nice infographics here. This is the Mm -hmm. last one. No, second to. Well, the last two are about both the shortlist and the winners. As a function yes. of the makeup of the panel. And essentially, for the National Book Award, um, there were four times when over the last 35 years that the jury had all white judges, and there are five judges there. And on average, one writer of color was shortlisted. Doesn't change much. In fact, there are fewer, 0.93, even with more data set, the 15 times when you get mm-hmm. to one judge of color. But after that, for every judge you add, you essentially add one book being shortlisted it kind of moves up. Except for once we got to four, then we're three Riders of Color, and that's this year, and we don't know who wins. Mm -hmm. But it scales relatively, you know, it goes from basically Mm -hmm. one, and then once you add two Riders of Color, there seems to be a jump, and then from there, it kind of scales up to three. Um, Fascinating to see. Not a surprise. I think anecdotally is not the word, but experientially we've seen this while we've been doing the podcast, frankly, mm-hmm. is that we have seen that not only are there more shortlisting and win- shortlisted and winners that are writers of color, but we also have seen that the judges, because you and I pay attention to the judges, because then we yell yes. about the National Book Award <laughs> picking insider baseball stuff. At least it's inclusive insider baseball stuff, right. I guess is what I would say here.
1: <laughs> inclusive insider baseball is the show title. <laughs> yeah,
2: it, it really is. It's more inclusive insider baseball. Um mm-hmm. Now, what hasn't changed is the, the small number of people. I think this is the thing what? I had no sense of. We, I have railed against, I think five people should not be in charge of awarding the National Book Award. Th- that's, I agree. That's me. And the Pulitzer is like you have three ju- judges, and then it goes to the full Pulitzer board, which is even weirder. It's like the worst of both worlds. It's neither super curated nor is it populist. I am more and more in the favor, and I even more so after this, of throwing open the gates, let's do it academy style. Let's have two thousand members who can vote on this thing and they're critics and booksellers and authors and editors and agents. And let's just do it. Let's just do it that way. Because this is nuts making because Yeah. uh, Go ahead. All right. Why is it nuts making beyond that?
1: Because so there are five judges on each National Book Awards panel. But some people are judges multiple times. So like over the last 35 years, 25 people have served as judges for a total of more than 700 times. 25 people make up 25% of all the jury positions in that period. So there's 25 people have got like outsized influence on who's winning these awards. And then everybody else is serving on maybe one panel, maybe two panels Mm -hmm. over time to a first approximation most people associated with literary culture are not voting ever on one of these panels and so the the judging does reflect the winners do reflect the, the individual tastes and priorities and agendas and interests of three people or five people and not what is happening in the the scene writ large. Yeah. Um, yeah, I fully support and endorse the let's throw the doors open and create uh, our version of like the Screen Actors Guild or somebody, the Academy that can yeah. vote on.
2: Yeah, I don't need the Goodreads Choice Award. I don't need it. I don't need to be democratic it's, in that way. I don't need to be egalitarian for yeah. anyone. That's what we have. That award. That that award is regression to the mean, and Some that's fine. Some gatekeeping. I
1: think, yeah.
2: Yeah, but I think you know, I think that would also. I'd be curious to see, but I would think that we would. Find the resultant ten finalist list to Mm -hmm. be a little more populist. Now, again, we could still have the jury's award, like the con, like there's the lion and the jury's prize and the people's prize. I think that's cool. I I wouldn't mind keeping the judges award, the National Book Award, and the other thing. But I think I think there's something to be said for the throwing open of the gates to the wider publishing, book Mm -hmm. reading, not book reading, book industry, book culture. And see what happens, because Gail Caldwell, book critic and editor of the Boston Globe, should not sit on seven Pulitzer Prize juries.
1: Right or do Joy it. Williams? Yeah, they, Joy Williams here is the most prolific of the judges, and she's been on committees that have awarded more than seventy-five prizes
2: to one hundred. No comment writers. from Joy Williams when asked about this yeah. <laughs> a fascinating piece of, of the. Top. And
1: like, it's not Joy Williams. No, 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 that this no, no. Nor the Gail Caldwell's.
2: If they if <laughs> right. they rang me up seven times, I would answer every seven times. Every time yeah. for the Pulitzer. Prize yes, I think committee. that
1: this this data does just go to the argument of. The reason especially that the National Book Awards have started to look so out of step with what's yeah. going on in literary culture in general is just that the likelihood that any five people, mm. especially the kinds of like MFA teachers and writers that are going to be asked to judge these things and who have time to judge these things, are, are, they're just going to be out of step with the broader literary culture. That's kind of like the point of that identity. yeah. <laughs> and, and that's not... A service to the general reader or even the general book nerd who nope. wants to use these prizes as some kind of metric for like what's important right now, whose voice is doing something new right now, what should I be paying attention to with my very rare and precious reading time?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and again, if you have a whole bunch of people, a couple things would happen. One is you could expand your lineup of awards because people mm-hmm. would vote, you would also. Be doing away with, and this is real and I acknowledge this, the at least tacit assumption that the judges have read the books or the voters have read the books. Because one of the difficulties of being on any of these awards, especially when there's three or five people in them, is you kind of can't fake it with four other people when you're wondering about whether or not Beloved should have won the 1987 um, which is Spicy. a fascinating anecdote here at the end. But I think it shows the point that what kind of one person blackballing beloved or getting mm-hmm. in the way is like, well, no, it's not, it's, or we're going to award nothing, which is ridiculous. Like that, that alone is, is enough. I'm um, still
1: mad about the year there was no Pulitzer. Come on.
2: Two years. I mean, I'm, I'm going back to a river run through it, not because that was the, basically the jury said we sh- recommended it to the wider Pulitzer body, and the wider Pulitzer body was like, bleh. Um, anyway, but like Cute. one person is not. We can't do that. That's too much no. gate, and that's too much keeping for a lot of gate for one person. I'm not sure where my metaphor is going with that, but you hear what I'm saying. <laughs> like this is, and also I'm, and again no shade here, and we do this a lot. But like these are a lot of names I've never heard of that are poured three, five, seven times mm-hmm. again. It could be the '70s mm-hmm. or you know '80s, and when, there's a but like. Like, I don't we're know, going man. into,
1: especially since we're rolling into Oscar movie season, I'm thinking about this a lot. And, you know, the distinction between how books handles it and how the movie industry handles it, where, like, someone can be in a great movie every two years yep. and get nominated for That's Best right. Actor or Best Director every two years yep. and win that award multiple times every time that the greater body of their industry thinks, yeah, you did the thing this year. Mm-hmm. and I think that what happens when we have these smaller panels of judges is there's room. There's too much room for conversation and negotiation and for one person to right to blackball something or to have an agenda or just to, you know, be a real bottleneck in the process. We're like, OK, Jasmine Ward has won two National Book Awards. That doesn't mean that Let Us Descend is not deserving no. of being named one of the best books of this year. It, I think it should have been a finalist. Lauren Groff won a lot of awards. Should have been considered, at least on the long list, for this prize. But there's so much scarcity around these Mm -hmm. prizes... And so much idiosyncrasy in how they get chosen because the judging panels are so small that it introduces all this guessing and all of this like sort of outside negotiation around like, well, so-and-so's already won this thing. Or they won that award and that's a big enough deal. So they probably don't need to win this one. Or like, we don't know for sure these are the conversations, but you can sort of read the tea leaves and like, this book was a huge deal. Why was it not recognized? Oh, that author's been recognized in other places. That doesn't happen in film. If you've done a great thing this year and a great thing two years ago, you can get nominated both times. And I think you're onto something there with that there are more awards. We could have the debut of the year. We Mystery, could have thriller, a Lifetime science, fiction, Achievement fantasy. Award. We could do all of right. it. Right. You could get to like best first person whatever, best yeah, adventure book. Short story book. Like collection. Could, yes, uh, you could do memoir, all kinds of things. all kinds of stuff. And they're just trying to do too many things with yeah. one prize.
2: Yeah. Let, let me put it this way. Fewer people decide the Pulitzer or the National Book Award than decide um, abortion rights at the federal level. Like, that's weird Mm. to say out loud. Like, really? That's what we're going to do? Like, it's just not enough. It's too much. Again, when we have so few spotlights to flip on, we just need to think. And again, a wider panel, a wider voting body will make different, weird decisions. They yes. will not get it right 100% of the time. There will be other cultural things that happen. You would need to make sure that that body is diverse or else it's yes. going to regress to the mean in all sorts of weird ways. And like, Oscar so white is also real. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm Very not suggesting real. that this is a, a panacea and it's going to fix everything. I just think I would welcome those problems and weirdnesses and, mm-hmm. and lacuna and mistakes versus this super insularity.
1: and well, we could if we were starting it today you could start it with diverse a diverse population yep. joining in one of the ways we arrived at oscars so white is that the academy is old mm. and most of them are old white people yep. and so like there was no way to just like reach back and you know like teleport right. Right. a diverse population into 2017 the, the academy has worked really hard to make changes and the we see more diversity represented in the nominations over the last several years there's been a lot of improvement there's a, there's room for a lot more yes. improvement like don't get it twisted but if you were starting from scratch today in today's publishing landscape I think you could
2: do it mm-hmm. the other thing I'll say about this we didn't jump into methodology corner here but there's small sample sizes all over this thing just Keep that in mind as you're looking at it. This is one, these are um, humanities professors, uh, not necessarily (laughs) liberal arts or science professors. So there's no statistical significance. This is just raw data presentation. Um, Anyway, so I I thought I would mention that. We haven't gone to Mm -hmm. um, uh, Methodology Cornwall. It's a little dusty back there. We got to get out the broom. But just to (laughs) say here that do not mistake. These infographics have just sort of direct correlation to anything. this is correlation. This is just correlation, right? Um, You know, one data set, you know, one, five, even 35 instances is not a huge data set. That's 35 Mm -hmm. years of this. But having said that, you have the data you have, and you can see, you know, that one out of every five Pulitzer Prizes awarded in fiction over the last 35 years had Gail Caldwell sitting on it. That's weird. (laughs)
1: That is weird. That's weird. And, you know, by the time we get here next week, we will know who won the National award. That's record. right.
2: Based on this, any guesses?
1: I am still pulling for Chain Gang All-Stars. I wouldn't be surprised by Justin Torres or... Um, I can picture the cover of it, but I'm not looking at the uh, oh, the sorry. short story collection. The short story collection oh, would be Folk? like a real, dar- yeah, Temple, Temple Folk. Folk. That would be like a real dark horse winner. Short story collections hardly ever win. Yeah, um, but I think there's a possibility. Yeah, for I've,
2: I've now read just of two right of the five. No, three of the five. So I've got Temple Folk, and I can't think of what the other one is. I'm not looking at the list either. Of the ones that I've read, though, well, you've heard my take on Harding. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think chain gang all stars. I don't know. There's, real, I, I, I there's like chain,
1: real energy ag- around chain gang all stars. Yeah,
2: and especially if we're going to the literary genre stuff as being the, mm-hmm. the sort of um, overarching theme of the last two decades. Um, yeah, that that could be it. But I, I wouldn't be shocked by Torres winning. That no 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 sense. I would be shocked in that. Well, that brings us to an hour. Um, let's do one more story, and then we have to save Front List away. Why don't you get us out with this um, WN We Need yeah. the Worship story?
1: We Need Diverse Books launched a new site this week called Indigenous Reads Rising. You can find it at indigenousreadsrising.com or in the show notes. And it is dedicated to celebrating children's literature of Native nations in the U.S. and Canada. There are book lists that are sortable by topic and age range and resources for educators and librarians and parents. It looks great. I've poked around at it a little bit. We need diverse books is you know continuing to expand and continuing to ask the question of who is underserved in literary representation and in and just in terms of like tools to help people find the few places where these communities are represented. It's something like two or three percent of children's books in the U.S. in a given year are by or about indigenous people. Um, so hard to find, and if you want to find them, we need diverse books. Now has a way for you to do that. So maybe their efforts succeed always happy to see something like this
2: yeah really good um to see and with that so to get you out of here send us your holiday recommendation request podcast at bookriot.com we will um keep that open probably one more reminder next week you can also check out the patreon we're going to take a quick break i mean for breakfast i'll be a quick break for the rest of you the episode will just be over then we're going to dive into Jasmine ward's let us descend um also, where you're going to hear soon, had a little technical difficulty, but Rebecca talking to me about a piece she wrote for our deep dive newsletter, 12 Things She's Learned in 12 Years, a book right, a really good conversation that I'm excited to get out for people to listen to as soon as I can get my pause back on my MacBook. Um, and let's see, mytbr.co, keep it in mind for bookish gifting. Keep it in mind for, oops, I forgot, Uncle, Uncle Kevin um, on New Year's Eve. If you have a printer still, you can get over there super easy. Rebecca, thank you so much.